0: Welcome to our weekly recording of the service here at Bigger and Blackmount Churches. I'm Mike Fucella. I'm the minister here, and we are so glad that you could join us. It's my prayer that you will be blessed by the message this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, please do get in touch. Contact me at biggerkirk09 at gmail.com. That's biggerkirk09 all lowercase at gmail.com so here's the message this week church yesterday and i noticed there were trees in here i thought we were in the lord of the rings and the ants had invaded But uh, it it was a beautiful wedding yesterday of Emily and James. And they've left us their their flowers and and their trees as well. And it's it's fitting because today we are kicking off a new series on uh, creation care. And creation has come to be with us here in church this morning. As we gather to worship, let's approach God in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we gather from the places we have been scattered, places where we have been living and working, loving and praying, striving and resting, learning and teaching others, producing and consuming, growing ourselves and nurturing others in their growth, caring and being cared for. We come together here because we are your people. Now, we've been your people in all those places and in all those activities that have dominated our week, but we are also your people together. We belong together. We need this time together here in one place as your family with you at the center of our gathering. With you refreshing us encouraging us equipping us with you as our father speaking life over us and into us and so Lord we ask you to come by your spirit refresh us encourage us equip us and speak over us this morning bind us together with one another and with you once again this morning and then lord send us out into a world that needs your presence needs your presence mediated by and through us your people and we pray together now the prayer that the people of jesus have always prayed our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name
1: Reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. It's titled The Beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw it was good. And there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures And let birds fly above the earth, across the vaults of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Thanks be to God.
0: So, folks, this Sunday we begin a new series that has to do with creation care. And what has precipitated a desire for us to explore this subject is The fact that COP26, the UN-organized climate change conference, is happening in Glasgow at the end of October and the beginning of November, and our series will culminate on the 7th of November, which has been designated by churches all over the country and indeed all over the world as COP26 Sunday. Now, the purpose of this series is first and foremost to explore what our responsibility as Christian people is towards the world which God has made and in which we live and we breathe and we have our being. And, of course, it is to Scripture to which we turn to understand that responsibility. So we're going to explore some important but perhaps little-known or little-understood passages of the Bible over this series. I'm hoping that this series will be more than theoretical, that it will be practical, too. There's going to be a lot happening in our news and in our community during the lead-up to COP26, and I would encourage you to keep your eyes and your ears open. Reflect on what you hear and see there on the news in light of what we are discovering together in God's Word every Sunday morning. Learn about climate change and, and learn about the practical things we can do as individuals and together to combat it. Several times during this series, I'm hoping that members of the congregation will share their own experience of things that they have done or have been challenged to do with regards to climate change and regards to creation care. And if you'd like to share something that you've been learning with the congregation, please do get in touch with me and we'll make sure that your voice is heard. And over the course of this series, we're also going to learn some new songs like the one we just learned that have to do with this theme of creation, care. And there are going to be several opportunities to join a couple of choral pieces that Cameron and Greg have found and have arranged for us. Get in touch with Greg or Cameron to be part of that pop-up choir that's going to happen over this series. And, of course, our, our church life or, our life as church is not just about what we do here on a Sunday morning. There are also other materials to help to explore the Christian response to climate change. And one really good resource that I found is a series of, of nine videos with discussion questions and points of action that has been produced by Tear Fund. And it's freely available on the internet, and you can find the link in our weekly email. And if you're watching at home, in the description of the video this morning, or this afternoon. Also, I have some books that folks might want to borrow that talk about climate change. Saying Yes to Life, this came out just last year, by Ruth Valerio, and Cherishing the Earth, both highly recommended so come to me if you'd like to borrow these i'd be happy to lend them to you i am excited about this new series i don't know about you i've been learning a lot already and i'm just brimming over with what i want to share with you i'll try to contain myself (laughs) let's pray as we turn to reflect on god's word this morning lord thank you that we see your hand in creation And we hear your voice through your word. And we pray that you would show yourself to us and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wonder what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you read this first chapter of the Bible. Do you wonder, like many people, about that controversy between the biblical account of the origins of the earth and the scientific account of the same. Perhaps you're wondering what side the minister comes down on on that debate. And that would be an understandable reaction. That controversy has raged for a long, long time. That controversy seems to dominate our thinking about this passage. And I know people who don't like to read the first chapter of Genesis because of a bad experience with people who have either jettisoned science for what they see as truth here, or who have jettisoned the Bible because they can't see at all how this narrative can fit with the scientific worldview. A lot of ink and emotion has been expended over the years on this controversy. And to my mind, it has been a sad, sad waste. In my mind, that controversy only leads to division that never, never should have happened. And it takes us away from seeing what this amazing first chapter of the Bible is really all about. Like we said when we were exploring the Sermon on the Mount, context is everything. And the literary context of the first chapter of Genesis is that it is a liturgical poem. It's a poem meant to be used in worship. And as a poem, it is full of figures and images that tell us deep truth about the world and the God who created it. The first chapter of Genesis is not, in its literary context, a science book. Science tries to answer the questions when and how. But this chapter of the Bible answers the questions who and why because the first chapter of the Bible deals with the shape and the origins of the cosmos, it is called a cosmology. And you may not be surprised to hear that there were other cosmologies in other cultures around the Middle East that date before or around the same time as the cosmology that we have here in Genesis. There was a cosmology that was found in Sumeria. There are cosmological stories found on the walls of tombs and pyramids in Egypt. And there is a cosmology from Babylon. There are similarities between those cosmologies and what we have in Genesis chapter 1. But there are also some big, big differences. In the other cosmologies of the ancient Near East, there are many gods. But here in Genesis chapter 1, we have only one God. In the other cosmologies, the cosmos is formed as part of God or the gods. But here, the cosmos is separate from God. There, the cosmologies speak of the origins of gods as well as the world. Here, God is in existence already. Here, God has always been before everything. In the other ancient cosmologies, the world comes into existence through struggle between the gods and sometimes between the gods and monsters. But here, God decides to create. Here in Genesis chapter 1, creation is an act of God's will. It is deliberate. It is no accident, no fallout from strife and conflict. So that's the literary context of the first chapter of Genesis. It's a liturgical poem answering the who and the why questions. And it's a cosmology, like other cosmologies, Speaking of the origins of things, but speaking about them in a unique and significant way. So that's the literary context. There's also an historical context. And what I mean by that is where and when this poem was written. Most scholars believe that the first five books of the Bible were brought together from written documents, maybe some of them written by Moses, and an oral tradition in the fourth century BC. That's 400 years before Christ. Fourth century BC, that's the time that we were thinking about last week. It was the time of the exile. And folks, that is significant. It was a time, this story comes from a time when Jews were living in exile as strangers in Persia and Egypt, Babylon and other places around the world. The people of God were up against dominant and dominating cultures in all those places. And their own culture was under threat. And so by God's inspiration, they brought together all that they had learned about the history and the faith of their own people. There are indications that some of the things written down were written so as to contrast their unique beliefs as the people of Yahweh with Persian, Egyptian, and Babylonian beliefs about the world. And one really good example of this is what we see here in our passage. Notice, I don't know if you noticed, but notice that God creates light on the first day of creation. I think we've all read that. But notice God doesn't place the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky until the fourth day. Isn't that strange? I always thought that uh, light came from the sun. Why does he not place the sun on the first day? Well, scholars believe that there is very good reason for this. Babylon's religion was astrological. In Babylon, they worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. Those heavenly bodies determined everything for the ancient Babylonians. And by mentioning the creation of these bodies on the fourth day, quite far down the pecking order, and making it very clear that they are creatures. They don't even name them. They are called big lights. The authors of Genesis are saying that these things are not gods, but Yahweh, the God of the universe, the the God worshipped by the descendants of Abraham, is in control of even these, which are believed by the Babylonians to control their mighty empire. Okay, enough of the background. As we said earlier, Genesis 1 doesn't so much deal with the when and the how questions as much as it deals with the who and the why. So who and why? who and why in Genesis 1. The who of this passage is quite clear. It is God. Well, who is God here? What's the picture of God we're getting from this account of creation? Well, a good start to answering that question of who God is is to look at what he does. the other day I went through And listed all the verbs of which God is the subject that I could find in this passage and and here they are God creates God makes as with his hands God's spirit hovers God speaks and things happen God sees and he sees that things are good in other words he delights God lets things happen. Things reproduce and evolve according to their kind and according to God's wishes. And like little Anya said, he, he delights in seeing that something's added to his creation. God names things. God blesses. And he even blesses those who would in the course of time his enemies. In verse 21, he creates the great sea monster Tanin. Tanin is serpent. The serpent, we later on find out, it will be God's enemy. Yet here in Genesis chapter 1, he blesses it. He blesses it along with all the other birds and sea creatures. What all these With all these verbs, what is the picture we are getting of God? Who is God according to Genesis 1? And there we have it. In my mind, I see a master artist here in Genesis 1. Look again at those first two verses. God is bending over the materials of his Creation. I, I imagine Agnes doing that too as she begins a piece of tapestry, bending over his creation that is formless and void, bending over it, ready to give them form and substance, ready to, to create some great masterpiece. God, the master artist, is intent. intent He's breathing on and breathing into his creation. That is what spirit means, God's breath. That word hovering that we find there in verse 2 can also mean brooding, gently cherishing. God is brooding over a stroke of genius. He's cherishing an idea. He's, He's ready to give it birth. He is a great artist and god the great artist takes his time in his creative process surely the god of the universe could have just snapped his fingers and everything could have appeared but no god the great artist takes time he takes seven days seven symbolic of fullness God takes the fullness of time to create his masterpiece. And initially, he prepares the canvas of his creation. He pushes back darkness to make the light. He pushes back the chaotic waters to make orderly, dry land. And then he creates teeming life on his canvas, in the seas and in the air and on the land. Life that will reproduce and continue to recreate itself. God creates a number of things each day. And as a great artist, he paces himself. He creates on that day and he stands back and he looks at what he has created. And and like any good artisan, he says to himself, that's a good job. You know, that is good. God delights in his handiwork. This is the who of creation. The master artist who delights in his handiwork. But it's also the why. Why does God create? God creates for sheer delight. God's creation is good and he delights in it. As with a master artist, his creation is an expression of who he is. He creates to have a relationship with his creation, to love it and delight in it. And although this chapter isn't explicit on this point, later in the Bible it will say many times that God Loves his creation. The picture we get in Genesis 1 is not a tyrant sitting on a throne so far from what he has made. It's not a whimsical child throwing bud pies. It is an artist who takes care and delights in what he has made. And the pinnacle of that love that God shows his creation, of course, is expressed in Jesus. God so loved the world that in Jesus, God became one with his world. He, God who is holy and separate from this world, so loved the world that he became incarnate he took on flesh. He took on the dust of the earth and he died on behalf of the dust of his creation. That is a God of love. He died for the redemption of this world to make it good again when it had become spoiled by humanity's sin and rebellion. A love and delight are the why of God's creation. And the who is a loving creator. This is doctrine. This is the teaching of who God is and what he does. And our Reformed theology tells us that doctrine always leads to doxology or praise. Our doctrine should always lead to praise. So we're going to praise now. We're going to take a pause, and we're going to sing All Creatures of Our God and King. Let's stand and sing together in praise of this Creator God. The who of Genesis is an all powerful Creator who loves, cherishes, and delights in His creation. And please don't forget, folks, creation includes you and me. And the why of the story is because of His love and delight for us and for all. Creation. So, where does that put us in terms of the present climate crisis? Where does that put us, the people who trust in this story of this amazing creator, artist, God? The world, this cosmos that God has lovingly created, is under threat. God Its creator is concerned with the fate of this object of his love and delight. And we, his people, should be concerned too. Now, that's the simple answer to our question. The problem, however, is that although we may be concerned, we may feel, as many of us do, that it is a hopeless situation. It's going that way of global warming, that way of destruction. And if humanity as a whole does not change its habits and its practices, then there is nothing that I can do or you and I together as a few people here in Bigger Kirk can do. Yes, God loves this world and we as his people love it too. But is that any help with this global crisis that we are facing. I don't know about you, but I am often tempted to feel hopeless. But to be hopeless in this situation, however understandable that might be, is to be faithless. And that is not a good place for the people of God. To be hopeless is to shortchange God. God, the master artist who created this wonderful world in the first place. Surely God is able to do something about this crisis. And we, as his people, should believe that he will do something. And we should work with him as he does it. And over this series, we will speak more about how we might, can, and should work with God in tackling climate change. But today, today, I'd like us, in in looking at the scriptures and the God we find there here in Genesis 1, to renew our faith in that God's ability to come to the rescue The word creation that we find in that first verse of Genesis, God created, is not the last time that that verb is to occur in Scripture. It also occurs in a significant place in the time of exile, time, as I said before, when God inspired people to bring together this creation story to encourage them and guide them. That time, as I said before, was a desperate time. It was a time when God's people felt like throwing in the towel, as we might be feeling faced with climate change. The mighty empires of Babylon and Persia seemed so strong, and their gods so able. But not only were the people of God encouraged by the Genesis story that God was in control of all he had created, but they were also encouraged by the words of prophets that he sent them from time to time. And one of those prophets was Isaiah, who came to them in the exile. And this is what Isaiah had to say to his people then. The poor and the needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together, so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel... Has created it. The prophet says to the exiles, it is going to be new creation. It is going to be wasteland bursting into bloom, rivers flowing in the deserts, trees sprouting where they never were before, the world again teeming with life justice for people, the hungry fed, and justice for a tired and weary earth. Nothing less than new creation. And here is God's message to us, to us who are up against climate change and a pandemic and whatever else we as a society and as individuals are facing today. New creation. Nothing less than new Creation, And, of course, that new creation in God's plan comes ultimately through the agency of his only begotten Son. In the New Testament, we have that word creation again. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Old things have gone, and look, everything has become new. This that God promises, this that gives us hope, is not a disposing of the original creation. When Paul here speaks of the old things having gone, he is talking about the old things of sin and death that have hurt and destroyed God's good world. The new creation is a return to what God always intended from what he created. The artist is also a repairer. The artist is not throwing out his masterpiece and making something else altogether. The artist is renewing it. I love that photo that uh, David Campbell shared this morning on Facebook of that old bike that he saw the goodness in, and he recreated My favorite show on the television at the moment is The Repair Shop. Taking something that is valuable and beautiful and and bringing its beauty back. That is what God promises us. And as we enter into our exploration of this crisis and what we are called to do about it, let us be encouraged and not To give up hope. Let's remain faithful to our creator, artist, God, and his purposes for all he has made, all he loves, and all he delights in. Let us pray. Father of creation, we thank you for all that you have made, the joy and glimpses of you that we find in nature's beauty, for the variety of all you have provided through resources. Help us to tread lightly and use wisely, valuing the needs of others and of creation above our own desires. Challenge us where we need to change our lifestyles. Convict us when we need to speak out on behalf of a voiceless people and a voiceless world and soften us where we have stood in judgment of others. Father, in your mercy, change us and use us for the restoration of your world and the protection of all your children. This morning we bring before you needs that we have been made aware of this week as we have lived the life that you have given us, and walked in the way that you have called us to. We continue to remember our children and teachers getting used to a new school year, especially with the restrictions under which they must continue to operate. We pray for their ability to adapt, and we pray for the resources to respond to those children who have found this time difficult. We pray that learning will go on unabated and new friendships and achievements will be made. And Lord, we also pray for our older folk. We pray especially for those still reticent to get out and about and for those who are vulnerable physically, emotionally, and financially. Lord God, bring your peace, wholeness, and healing. May those around them show compassion and understanding and help us to know how to respond to their specific needs. Help us to respond in grace and love, reflecting your heart in what we do. And Lord, we pray for members of our families, friends and neighbors who are ill at the moment. We ask for your healing in their lives. Whether that comes in the form of the right medical care, through a miracle no one expected, or a word or a touch from someone that brings joy and comfort. And we continue to pray for the people of Afghanistan. We pray for protection for the vulnerable there. We pray for peace with justice to come on that long, troubled land. We pray that those who wish to leave will gain safe passage and that they would be welcome wherever they find new homes, especially here amongst us. And again, we pray that this world, our planet home and we in it would ever give you glory as the amazing creation of an amazing artist, Father God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.